dark. Hail your dark senior. Hail not mock needs. Hail your asir. Hail our O senior. And I welcome the Valkyries to summon me. Hail the day. Hail the sons of day. Hail to night and her sister. Hail the gods. Hail the goddesses. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Through the Thunder podcast. I have two past guests on today. We have Elliot and we have Jen, and we're going to cover the topic of Filgia and possibly the afterlife as well. Elliot, how are you doing? Hello, I'm Elliot. I'm glad to be back. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, just all around happy, and I'm glad to be here once again. <laughs> and Jen, what about you? Good evening, gentlemen. I am super happy to be here. Thank you for asking for me back. And I can't wait to get uh, get stuck in. Excellent, man. This is a topic for me that I know basically nothing about. I've heard the term. I have a rough idea of the kind of realm that term falls into. But I don't really know anything mm. more than that. So I'm a total noob when it comes to Filga. Um, so... Who would like to start and maybe kind of cover what they know about this subject? I will let Ellie take first. the reins on. Oh, I was going to let you go first. But okay, well, I, I will give a, a general overview of what I'm aware that Philgy means because I will self admittedly mean I'm more with Fraser here, like being quite new to it. I, I know a little bit. Um, but for, uh, sorry, Elliot will definitely enlighten us with, with this sort of deeper meaning behind things, I'm sure. So my take on it is that it's more like uh, maybe better known as a spirit guide. Maybe that's what people might more commonly know them as. Um, it can also take the form of a human, if I'm not mistaken. But usually people, you know, receive these sort of energies or entities in the form of an animal. Um, there's different ways that you can sort of get in touch with them and to sort of discover who they are um, through things like meditation and uh, divination even. Um, you could always do some like pendulum dowsing or rune casting uh, to discover your filgia. Or you might just find that in daily life, a bit like what happened to me, um, that they sort of present themselves to you of their own accord, which I find quite useful. But uh, the word filgia apparently means to accompany. Um, so, yeah. And, and apparently in Irish folklore, it sort of refers to something called the fetch, which can also mean the afterbirth of a child. So it's essentially um, like this sort of spiritual uh, connection that sort of carries and watches over you through life. It's more like a companion than an actual guide or a, an assistant. But it's it's just somebody who sort of companion companions you. That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Accompanies you through life, basically. So, yeah. Okay, Elliot, sure. <laughs> am I want to yeah. enlighten it, but yeah. Yeah, Elliot, you go ahead. You, you explain uh, to me a bit about it. Okay, so I think for all at home who want to look, uh, not look, understand where I'm coming from with this, is to think of Filgia as the more Norse version of a familiar, which I think is a more witchy kind of thing. You know, it's a more pop culture kind of term, familiar. Um, 
Aphilgia is a part of your soul. You are it. It is you. Though the philgia is kind of its own little thing to some degree. Aphilgia can often take the form of an animal or, like the lovely Jennifer said, the form of a human, but, but always of the opposite sex according to whatever you're born as. So mine would probably be a woman. Jennifer's would probably be Jason Momoa. Um, <laughs> I can only dream. <laughs> I know, I was waiting for the reaction. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> um, to stay calm. <laughs> so, Aphilgia, to me and my research, is essentially a guardian spirit. Um, so, what it protects you from, I can't say for certain, perhaps some other ghostly entities trying to attack your soul. I know that's a bit extreme, but that's the only thing that comes to mind. Um and one thing that I think is also important to mention is that it is said that you see it at the day of your birth and the day of your death, or well, not really the day of your death, but you're soon to die if you see it um, on one occasion, of course, which is not good unless you're like a weird masochist or something. <laughs> um, just, just on that, right? Uh, is this mentioned anywhere? Phil, uh, yeah, is that mentioned anywhere, like, for example, uh, in the Poetic Edda or anything like that? I, ooh, to my memory, I don't think it's actually mentioned in the Poetic Edda or the Prose Edda as in Aphilgia. The best or closest thing I can get to is uh, in Grimnismal, which is actually my favourite tale from the Poetic Edda, uh, when King Geroth, a former foster son of Ulthin, um, is being kind of talked to by Ulthin in a very angered manner. He says something along the lines, and I'm going to look it up right now. Um, um, yeah, your guardian spirits are anxious. Now, I think that relates more to potentially disir that, or perhaps it's possible to own more than one filgia, which I can get to right now. So there's the idea of having a singular filgia, which, depending on who you ask, could be always have always been within you, or you unlock it somehow eventually. Um, and then there's this idea, which I think is not very common and it's very um, not very attested, but it's the idea that there is a group filgia, so a filgia of a group, and it's not really specific to a person. Therefore, it does not die when you die, and you, not, you do not die if it dies. At least I hope not, anyway. Um, same rules kind of apply, animal or man or woman. Um, I've had heard, I have heard, sorry, some weird not weird, but theories that this particular idea of a philgia could be akin to that of a Native American totem animal to some degree. Not exactly the same, of course, but, you know, a very similar idea. Or, well, yeah, because if it takes the form of an animal, then, yeah, it's a, it's a total animal. Um, what, I is have... the role, what is the role that this philgia plays in your life? Good question. I did not answer that. Sorry. So it's basically a guardian, guardian spirit, not guardian spirit. Um, so it protects you to some degree, most likely from actual spiritual things or supernatural things rather than physical things. Otherwise, I'll be manifesting that like a motherfucker. Um, and it seems I have heard tales that it actually helps guide you through the afterlife since since you're one with each other because you're technically the same thing. Um, when it dies and you die, you're going to most likely um, accompany it, much like how the name kind of translates to roughly in the afterlife. Uh, kind of like a little pet, you know? Um, 
other than that, I can't really think of anything else. I have heard actually, so perhaps this fits under the um, what's the word? The I can't think of the purpose. That's it. The purpose of a filgia, um, and that's that a filgia can sometimes um, not die if the person who owns that filgia dies themselves. Now there was one saga, and I can't remember the name. Damn. Um, Actually, I think it's in the Poetigeta, I think, I swear, anyway. Um, it's in the Saga of the Heroes, or it's in the little section when it talks about the heroes. I don't think I'll be able to is find, the, like, a Is it the Gisli Sersen Saga? Or, I, I don't know if I said that correctly. Possibly. You're probably a lot closer than I am. A- apparently, guy, he, he looks he's so visited good. by two beautiful women. One who's trying to bring good fortune, and the other one's trying to bring the violence out of him. So I guess in that sense, it's more like the sort of devil angel type of thing in that specific representation, unless I've got a different one than you. But that's the one I'm most familiar with. Sadly, that's not to my memory. So could be a different one. <laughs> um, but this one guy who I think was called Helgi, I think it was his name was Helgi, was looking off uh, the stern of his boat or ship, I should say. And it was quite a misty kind of day. But he sees this naked woman approach him. Um, but unlike most people be like, why is there a naked woman walking on the ocean like Jesus Christ? Um, he's like, oh, wait, this is my damn filgia. And it's uh, I think I can't remember the actual name of the guy that it potentially says this filgia comes from. But it's basically this filgia of a woman comes and becomes his. So he kind of inherited that filgia, so to speak. Um so that's one thing to mention. I think another thing I'm going to go into, and this is for those who may be interested to potentially figure out what their field game might be if they're really, really um, desperate to do so, is that there's this one practice attested in Icelandic sources where you get a dagger, uh, a dagger, you wrap it in some cloth without tying any knots, of course, just wrap it firmly, and you uh, put it behind your back and grab with the other hand and you basically circle around you three times, you know, holy number three. And when you're doing this, you say, my field gear is, and then you say the name of the animal. And if the um, actual cloth falls a little bit from the dagger and you see the blade, then that's supposed to be an indication that that is your field gear. Of course, it's up to you whether you believe that is a rather rather um, good method to go about it, because who knows, you might be grasping it, grasping it not very well. So it might just fall off all entirely. But, you know, got to have faith. Um, the other... The other ways of going about it, pretty much like how Jennifer once said, meditation, uh, possibly dreams, maybe dreams after meditation, mix of the two. Um, I think this is where my knowledge is starting to go dry, but I will say that there was this one saga where a young boy, a very noble-born boy, was such a strong-spirited boy that he had a field gear of a white bear. I think it was a polar bear. That was just a normal bear that was pure white. Now, a man who was a wizard had second sight and he could see this bear and this bear knew that he could see him and he kind of stopped in his tracks allegedly according to the story but since this field gear was so strong so dense the boy when he was walking forward unable to see it tripped over it and fell over so that's just another interesting tidbit now you can carry on very interesting um jen you, you mentioned meditation and stuff like that have you ever have you ever tried to you know um, get a picture in your mind or can it tap into that in any way? I have actually. So I actually wanted to loop back something that 
um, Elliot mentioned just before um, okay. about this sort of idea of a group philgia because something really interesting happened to me uh, about a week or two ago. So I have a bunch of pagan friends um, who live nearby and they're not all Norse pagan. Um, we're, we all stem from different backgrounds, but essentially my beautiful friend Cara hosted this lovely um, visualization evening and I turned up. I didn't really know what to expect. And she had this whole atmosphere planned out. The, there was a meditation room that was beautifully candlelit and presented. And she started off by uh, giving us a tea ceremony. So we all drank uh, a cup of mugwort tea and it had various like extra herbs in like chamomile, lavender, you know, herbs that are really great for relaxing the mind and the body. Um, but also mugwort is also known as, as a bit of a stimulant. So as much as like everything is meant to sort of relax you, the mugwort is great. And it's been known uh, throughout history to aid in meditation because it helps your brain to sort of stay active, even if you feel nice and relaxed. Mm -hmm. um, so we all sort of did, did a little breathing exercise. We drank the tea and then we sort of went into this visualization uh, led by Kara. And essentially, uh, we all started off sort of in this grassy field and, you know, it takes you a minute to get into the into the mindset. And, you know, you sort of visualize your, your feet being planted into the grass. And essentially, um, the journey was that we transformed into like a tree and you feel your, your feet become the roots and, you know, dug into the ground. And then your branches then become like the feet of a bird and you turn into a bird. And she didn't specify what kind of bird that we all were. Um, but obviously, you know, as I was doing mine, I became a magpie. And I mentioned in my last podcast episode that that was um my sort of spirit animal or my familiar um as Elliot put it uh so I was already quite familiar with mine and uh we all sort of went on this group flight together and obviously you know Cara carried on with the meditation and and you know some wonderful things happened but essentially uh the top and bottom of it was that <laughs> all of us there was about six or seven women in this room we each saw each other's animal or bird and nobody knew whose each other's was so um somebody woke up and my friend was like okay who was who was the robin and there was somebody in the room that was the robin and there was one of each bird and it was really really special and I couldn't quite believe it to be honest because it was just like you know we, we were all there and it was this shared experience and it was probably one of the most magical things that I have ever experienced it was it was incredible um, and it sort of reaffirmed uh, my connection with my Philgear, which I perceive to be the magpie. So, yeah. That sounds like an amazing experience. I'd love to try something like that one day without a doubt. I mean, for me, I've never had any, I've never tried to look into this. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I've not tried to kind of connect with whatever my Philgear is, but uh, I would definitely like to, I, I do have experience in meditation. So it's something I would definitely like to try. I think the group element could be really good because it kind of almost like turbocharges that kind of energy. Mm -hmm. It definitely does. We all sort of um, fed into each other. And what I was worried about is because I've never done a group meditation before. I was worried that somebody would like start giggling and it would throw us all off. But it was so immersive that you I, I literally felt like I was in a different kind of realm. Um, I've never astral projected, but that was probably the closest to it I have I've ever been, um, and it was just really great because there was certain women within the group who self-admittedly just didn't 
do great at meditation you know they had busy minds as I'm sure most of us do and they just struggled to kind of keep that focus but I think that shared kind of like seriousness and that energy that we all put into it really helped and I'm in talks with yourself and Zach um the seeker of wisdom um for the Yule gathering I'm hoping to facilitate something similar but with a more Norse-based kind of spin um, so that we can all partake in that, um, you know, depending on who would like to join in. And again, start with the tea ceremony. I think that's such an important part as well. Um, and yeah, I think that would be such an incredible experience to to do it Yule with everybody. Um, but, I, you know, like I say, it was, it was kind of weird for me, though, because I've known for a while that my field gear has been the magpie, but it kind of came to me over time. Um, and I obviously I don't want to rehash what I've already spoken about in the last podcast episode, but I touched on the fact that I see them a lot whenever I'm struggling with, you know, a sort of problem in my mind or I'm feeling like I get this sort of advice from a friend that comes to me and I perceive that to be the gods. There's always a magpie around whenever these thoughts come into my head and I'm very respectful of them. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, the old wives tales of one for sorrow, two for joy. Like I don't see them as unlucky birds. They usually classed as quite unlucky, um, you know, sort of trickster type specimens because they like to steal shiny things and, and things like that. But I have a lot of respect for them. And every time I see them, I sort of I know it sounds a bit <laughs> a bit crazy, but I always acknowledge them and, you know, say hello and be respectful and um and they often look me straight in the eye which I found quite funny as well because um usually birds are, especially ones like that they, they're sort of a bit skittish and if you go near them they sort of fly away but they seem to just kind of lock eyes with me and I just feel this immense connection to the gods and who I consider my ancestors um whenever I have these sort of spiritual experiences which I just think is insane so yeah and what do you think your philgia is doing for you in your life it it kind of um you know like I said before it kind of accompanies me um it's like a companion I never really feel alone I feel very content when I'm by myself because I just feel like there's an entity sort of with me and I I have up until this point put that down to being the gods but maybe I've been kind of slightly off the mark a little bit um and maybe after this kind of sharing of knowledge I'll, I'll think about it a little bit differently that you know maybe this is an ancestor or some kind of um you know energy or spirit trying to come through to me um and it basically offers me some great advice so I find that you know if I'm sort of stressed about something or a little bit anxious I'll ask a question and it's usually obviously when I'm outside because I'm not likely to see a magpie in my house um so I'll, I'll take a walk to clear my head and I'll sort of ask a question and I'll say right if I see a magpie on this walk um you know, then it either means that I don't need to worry about something or that, yes, you know, and I'll sort of ask a question a bit like you would uh, when doing pendulum dowsing. So when you're doing pendulum dowsing, you obviously straighten the pendulum, you hold it above your palm or uh, a pendulum board and you'll sort of program it. So you'll say, right, up and down means yes, left and right means no. And you'll sort of ask this question and say, okay, if I see a magpie, it means yes or so on and so forth and I'll ask the question meditate on it for a couple of minutes and usually I either see one or I don't and then it gives me my answer and that's the way that I personally perceive it and um, it's it's just quite funny because I'll see one 
And then more often than not, I'll sort of say hi and acknowledge it. And then a second one will pop out. <laughs> and um, it's just it's just really awesome. And obviously the, the old saying of, you know, one for sorrow, two for joy. Often I see two of them. And, and that's a really great sign for me. But I'm not, I'm not too worried if, you know, just one of them's there. I don't take it as like a bad omen or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I see them as quite lucky birds for me personally. And what about yourself, Elliot? Do you have any kind of ideas about your philgia? No, not whatsoever, no. But I, if I had to humour the conversation here and say what I would want it to be or what I would like it to be, which is different from what it can be, I just want to get that point across, I would probably like it to be a robin bird or an English badger. That or, well, who knows? Perhaps it's something from bloody China and I don't even know what the animal's <laughs> name is. <laughs> very nice, very nice. I don't know have why. You, I... Have you ever wanted to kind of like... Um you know do any of these things to try and connect with it in any way ever since i kind of actually pondered on it a bit more yes actually um i i am i would be lying if i said i wasn't in the mood to try and tempt the um the little dagger idea i did yeah that idea but um for some reason i'm like nah like i don't think i could do that i'm probably going to do it wrong and at the same time i could meditate on it and i'm well, I normally try and meditate every now and again, but I'm not sure if I'm really that well, not well-versed, what is it, um, adept at meditation to the point where I could possibly figure out that stuff. Then again, I have not properly tried, so perhaps it's just me not willing to because I don't think I can, but actually I can if I just put some effort in. Um, I will it's... elaborate oh, sorry, on... Sorry. Sorry, um, I, I was so just going to say as well, sorry, with the dagger idea, just before you move on to um, from that point, the it's actually quite interesting you should mention the dagger because usually within sort of pagan or witchcraft practices, um, you know, you would have like a ceremonial, what's called an athame, which is like a, a ritual dagger. I don't know if it's the same thing. Um, and it's used to direct energies and stuff. So whether or not that is used in that particular way, because, you know, it's not like an axe or a sword, it's specifically a dagger. Um, I wonder if that sort mm. of symbol is used to draw in that energy. I find that quite interesting. I would say yes, really, because I think to sorry to slightly change the subject for a brief little moment. Um, when me, Zach, and Fraser did an episode together, we talked briefly on magic, and we said that magic isn't basically shooting fireballs from your fists, but it's rather um, manipulation of energy and getting the desired effects from that energy. Um, and so I think your dagger energy enhancer or provider, that seems like a very logical comparison to do. I, I can see that and I agree with that to some extent. Um, as I was saying, though, um, yeah, so badger or robin for me. But if I had to choose one, it would definitely be the robin. I just love robins. I think it's because I just like the way they look and they look so obvious like a robin you know like you can tell it's a robin straight off the bat it's brown and it's got a ginger chest bang that's it brilliant so does it have um, to be an and there's this one it doesn't have to be an animal it doesn't have to be it can be a human but of the opposite sex according to the sources okay okay um so there was this i i don't think it was really a spiritual experience per se um, but what happened was I went into my garden with some broken bits of bread. I, I'm not sure whether I was giving an offering or was I just trying to feed birds. I think it was the latter. And um, eventually this robin 
sat on the left fence of my garden, just somewhat underneath this bush, almost like a little cave um, entering. And I kind of, I don't know why, but since I really like robins, I kind of looked at it gently. I didn't dare look at it with like a stern gaze. I kind of put my head down as well. Um, and I was kind of like sprinkling, dropping the bread bits. There we go. Dropping the bread bits around the place a little bit. Um, and this Robin was kind of watching for a good while. And eventually I saved like the tiniest little crumbs. Because again, if it did eat them, I don't want to choke it or kill it. So I got the tiniest, tiniest little bits. And I put it in the left palm of my hand. Um, and I get on one knee facing towards it. Hence, my head slightly turned down a little bit. Not completely. And I'm looking at it, trying to see if I can get it to land on my hand and have a nice little snack. And it just gives me this look. Not like a look of disgust, but it just looks. Looks at my hand, looks at my face, and kind of repeats this for like a long while. And it's just standing there for a good while. And eventually I get up and just move around a little bit. And then I, again, kneel before it, kind of watching, see if anything happens. And eventually it just flies off. And I don't think I've seen the same one ever since. But... I think that was definitely the moment where I thought, I really want that to be my field gear if it turns out to be. But obviously I don't really know and I don't want to claim so because I, even though I'm no expert when it comes to field gear because I don't have one, at least I don't know my one yet, um, I think I should get the message across that whatever you want is probably not what you're going to get and you need to have that in mind. Now, I have heard that sometimes field gear can change over time depending on what happens to you, I guess, mentally or spiritually. So keep that in mind if you want to be a bit more optimistic. You know what this reminds I thought I'd say that. Do you know what this reminds me of? Uh, I read yes. a book once. Uh, oh, God, I totally forget what it's called. It's like a really, really popular uh, book series. They've turned it into like a TV program. Uh, the Golden Compass. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what this yeah, is. Like. Was... Describing it to me. I'm like, wait a minute. This sounds oddly familiar. <laughs> yep. No pun intended with the that's, familiar I was, there. I was going to say <laughs> that, actually. Yeah, because it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I've only only read it the first off as a rubbish movie, then it really Yeah, well, yeah. I've, only, I've only read the first um, book. I remember yeah. in the book, he was kind of saying, like, the author was kind of saying, like, that's what these things are. They're like, um, they're connected and it's they're, they're like one in the same almost. And sorry, sorry to interject mm. quickly, but, but I yeah, think that's... it's also really interesting about that you should mention the Robin Elliot because... Um, traditionally, again, going back to fo folklore, um, you know, they are connected with ancestors. And apparently, um, if you see a robin, it means one of your sort of relatives or ancestors that are passed on are sort of near you. And that's quite interesting because it is quite a spiritual bird. So it's it's pretty awesome that you feel this kind of pull towards this already quite spiritually related. But I know you don't tend to lean too much towards the ancestors as far as i'm aware but who knows maybe it'll maybe it's a little nudge from the the spirits or the gods just to say hey like there's some ancestors trying to look out for you here <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of i kind of wrap my head around the ancestor bit now it's more when do i go and do it and how do i go but do it now i don't really mind doing ancestor yeah. stuff at least in my head um but yeah thank you for that lovely information i never knew that birds had such interesting folklore tied to them and that the robin was associated with ancestors yeah really great yeah. stuff so how did the uh, um, what was yours sorry how did the philia um differ from say like the deceer or the valkyrie or whatever so 
Well, the Disir, or Dis for singular, is a feminine entity. Some people say that it's female ancestors, and they're technically right, but that's limiting it. It's not female ancestors, it's feminine things. So it could be a goddess, a Valkyrie, female ancestors, female land spirits, or female dwarves and elves. It's feminine things. And this is done near the end of um, October. So Disablot, by the way. Um, Filgia, they're just a part of your soul. They're one with you. You are it. It is you. Um, so hopefully that answers the question, unless you want me to go even further, because I um, can't think of anything else. Could I jump in, actually, off the back of that? Apparently, according to the Norwegian uh, philosophy... I can't say my words now. <laughs> Physi- philog- I can't even pronounce it. Uh, Theologian. Yes, one of those. Uh, <laughs> a lady called Elsie Mundell, uh, apparently her theory on it is that uh, the women, the female filgia, could also be considered uh, a version of a dis or, or a ghost or goddess that is attached to fate. So, I mean, I quite like that idea because obviously, again, I'm known to sort of, well, I think all three of us pretty, we feel quite closely connected to the Norns. So the idea that maybe one of the, the female Filgia that, that might be accompanying us could be, you know, one of the lovely Norn ladies. So, um... and, do they, and do the Filgia, do they have their hand in fate in any way? Are they maybe there to, are they somehow dipped in that essence in any way or is that a separate thing? Well, this this is sort of up for debate, I think, because this is what this lady's theorising. But then I guess in a way I subconsciously agree, because if I go back to what I've just said about, you know, I ask them for help and to make decisions, um, then I'm sort of putting my fate and my decisions in their hands. So I, I would say that I do connect them with fate. And I, I haven't really thought about that till you asked me just now. Um, which I think is quite fascinating. And it also says, I've read somewhere um, that there's this idea as well that um, I'm really fascinated by the idea of shape-shifting. Okay, so when you hear that initially, you think, oh gosh, it's a bit airy-fairy. And, you know, when you hear about maybe Loki shape-shifting into this, that and the other, you you actually picture him fully transforming into like a salmon or something. Mm -hmm. However, the modern take, as far as I'm aware, on the idea of shape-shifting is that say for example uh let me relate it to to something you guys might be able to sort of connect to say for example you've got a big job interview and you don a three-piece suit and you feel powerful like as soon as you put that outfit on you feel more confident and more sort of self-assured and and ready to take on the day um as opposed to if you're just wearing your your joggers and and sweats and stuff um that to me is a, a a version of modern day shape-shifting um and it's the same with maybe ladies and you know we put our war paint on and a bit of red lipstick and it just you know you just feel different like you you take on a different sort of energy and something i read was that you know there's there's sort of these uh myths of of sort of berserkers transforming into bears at the end of, of a battle to sort of finish off their opponent and and i think obviously that's been taken out of literal context in terms of, you know, they've made it seem like they actually shift uh, and transform into a physical bear. However, this just could be an interpretation that they sort of, you know, the adrenaline kicked in and that last bit of energy sort of came out and that rage and they sort of maybe maybe lost it and got a bit, you know, <laughs> berserk. Uh, <laughs> it does what it says on the tin. And, you know, maybe they uh, sort of gave off the energy of a bear-like, 
spirit you know with with that rage and that sort of that power um and, and we, you know we all know how it goes with mythology and mythos and stuff everything's word of mouth and it gets passed down and you know it it, it could be that somebody saw a berserker you know go crazy and they said oh it was like he turned into a bear and then all of a sudden that's where this comes from and you know uh, I find that really interesting and, and a really tangible way to connect the spiritual side and also the the mythology, but but pair it with a bit of science and you know logic. <laughs> logic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will have to agree with the idea that a female human uh, filia is technically a dece, um because that just makes sense to me. You know, it's a, it's at that point a female spirit. And who knows, perhaps an animal one is technically a female animal, so that could be considered a dece. Never thought about that, so that's good. Not sure when it comes to, what's the bit you mentioned? The, the norns basically being your filgia or a goddess being your filgia. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't think that, sit, that sits with me. Not in like, oh, I hate it, more like that's not what I'm thinking and agree with. Um when it comes to the berserker bit, I kind of like that. That's a brilliant take. I somewhat felt similar, but now you just kind of solidified it for me. <laughs> and I do find it very um, ironic, really, because berserkers translates to bear skin. So because they would sometimes wear bear skin. Um, ah, it ties in. They, so they would hunt it down, presumably, kill it, skin it, and then wear it and actually believe that they would become um, a bit of a bear themselves and absorb its power, absorb its perhaps mm. instinct so yes with your idea that shape-shifting isn't as divine as it may be it's more you know what's the word symbolic yes symbolic um one could say that they perhaps put on the bare skin or they threw their weapons down and then suddenly started biting people who knows but i like <laughs> that idea it's brilliant um, yeah. i couldn't agree more with the concept of putting on a suit and shape-shifting um, it's a very like psychological, uh, you're triggering this, uh, well, we'll talk about the suit thing particularly, you're triggering a psychological response, you're, you're putting, you're tying your tie in a certain way, you're wearing your jacket, this, the, the jacket that you think works best with this collar and the cufflinks that look the way you need them to look, you have your hair presented a certain way, the shoes, everything all comes together to create a uniform which kind of brings you out of that you know, that uh, other side of you and, and it allows you to play the game in a certain way and it allows you to approach things and you you can, you, you can uh, fake it till you make it, so to speak. Or some people, they just, they're not faking it at all. They just, they've just made it. But yeah. I, think, I think when we're talking about, um, for example, um, maybe like we'll use the example of, say we're doing a ritual. So we'll put on ritual where perhaps not everyone would, some people will. Some people might even paint their face in a certain way or have specific jewellery items or specific things in that ritual. That is like what we've discussed with the suit, but on a deeper level because it allows them to step out of the uh, mundane, if you will, um, and into that kind of sacred space and element. And it allows them to kind of more, they're more able to kind of free themselves from... Uh, the overthinking, the oh yeah, what am I having for breakfast tomorrow? That kind of thinking, and it lets you to get deeper into the spiritual side of things. Um, and it's very interesting to see with uh, things like berserkers, for example, because I think people back then as well, when they told these stories, um, they definitely took on a life of their own because they probably ha they were probably way open, way more open to um, that prospect of magic and 
these crazy goings on that they didn't quite understand. They were more open to that. We've become somewhat cynical uh, in the 21st century, I'd say. Uh, there's a lot of great things in the 21st century. We're using one of those great things right now to have this podcast. But I yeah. think in terms of like being able to like let go and just be open to these things, it's something that we've become somewhat closed off to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just a, just a thought and the point that you made before. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, obviously back then they didn't have all these psychological studies and like, you know, neurology kind of case studies where they could understand how the human brain works. And, you know, maybe if you take regular old Bjorn here who works on a farm Monday to Friday and then Saturday he goes raiding and he's usually quite a calm, you know, sort of reasonable man. And then he dons his bare skin and war paint and all of a sudden he's like this beast. <laughs> You know, it's they probably thought, oh, my goodness, like something has entered, like an energy has entered him or, you know, he's embodied this kind of bare energy, as Elliot was saying. And they probably didn't think, oh, it's probably psychology or a shift in uh, a thought process or something or neurons firing. Like they will have thought it was a magical spirit entity. Yes. Mm. And, you you know, when I think about what my filgia might be, I probably want it to be something really cool like a bear or a wolf or a falcon it's probably a duck can I, can I or ask seagull <laughs> can i ask a question i have an interesting question what do you guys think each other's field gear would be maybe that would be a better question to ask because i feel like it's easy to kind of it's easier to kind of step outside the bubble sometimes and get someone else's perspective on things that you might not necessarily be aware of so i'd be interested in you know pretend you didn't hear that mine was a magpie for example like you know, I, I think it would be really fascinating because for me, Elliot would be an owl. I mean, obviously, stereotypically, a wise, yeah, a wise, like it's known as the wisest creature. And you, you give off obviously a very wise, knowledgeable energy. Like you, you wise beyond your years, in my opinion. Um, and you, you seek to gain that knowledge. You know, I mean, it's sort of like who you are in a way. And people come to you and. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're sat and they're quite majestic and um, there's a certain pride in a way about them. You know, they stand tall and I just <laughs> think that that really nicely embodies kind of your energy, if that makes sense. Oh, and then thank you. personally for, for me, Fraser, you would be something along the lines of like a stag. Um, so essentially quite calm, placid creatures usually you know, like pack animals, they enjoy being around each other that, you know, they will protect their family. And they usually can't, you know, you you usually can go up to a a stag like a, like a nature reserve and you get fairly close and they won't just kind of charge and be aggressive. Um, But, you know, when challenged, say by another stag, they're not afraid to lock horns and and get things sorted. You know what I mean? They're not, they they don't naturally kind of come out and, and be aggressive or whatever or challenging but they will protect their own if and should they ever need to. And again, it's that sort of majestic kind of, but very calm, um, fluid kind of energy. I don't know if this is making sense or... Well, two things, two things on that, right? That's badass. (laughs) I'd I'd love it to be a stag, right? But two things on that is I actually have a stag tattoo in my arm. No. um, And also, you know, Freyr being my kind of guy, Freyr being my guy at the moment, um, obviously he's associated with the stag as well as obviously the boar and stuff um, that's quite interesting I'd love I didn't it. know I'd love that because I know you venerate Frey but I, I didn't know that he had that connection either 
Are you so, looking into our souls from beyond the digital veil? Yes, yes, I am, Elliot. Uh, <laughs> it's just what I do. <laughs> uh, well, I'm. I really like the owl thing. I wasn't expecting it really because sometimes, even though ninety nine percent of the time it's all jokes and humour for me, I can behave like a little child who's a little bit of annoying. Annoying, sorry. But yeah, I'm. I'm really glad that you see me as an owl, even though I kind of want a robin, but now I kind of want an owl. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, who 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 is there to say that you can't have more than one? Who? Anyway. Um, can I can I so, ask who you guys think I would be, just really quickly? I'm curious. That is so hard. Say, <laughs> say, like, what do you think, Fraser? What do you think about us? Oh, you've got to put me on the spot. Oh. <laughs> if I was to say something just off the spot, I, 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 it would be the wrong things. It would, I would need to take time to think about it. Okay, um, okay. Maybe circle back to it at the end. Yeah. Let's see if yeah. I can get back to it by the end. And I'll come. What about you, marinate you on think? it. Yeah, let's let, 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 let's let it marinate for a bit. What about you, Elaine? <laughs> can you think of anything? So I'm going to start off with Jennifer here. So you, Jennifer, um, even though I am kind of blinded by your magpie idea, because now I can't really <laughs> help but think of you as a magpie. Um, I think the first thing that came to mind when I was trying to differentiate from the magpie, let's be honest, I'm not like you. I can't think of these things really well. My first thing was somehow like a hedgehog or like a rabbit. I don't know why. Um, that's a, you know that's actually really funny it made me giggle initially saying hedgehog but they're kind of cute and soft but like spiky on the outside so oh, yeah. they're adorable but when they need to they are bloody good at protecting themselves and, <laughs> and even though you're not bouncing off the walls I feel like when you talk sometimes you're springy like a rabbit oh I like that thank you Elliot that's lovely maybe maybe a jet black rabbit like a goth rabbit but I was thinking that because of your style yeah, or maybe a, a bat. <laughs> Who knows? Bat but woman. yeah, I love that. Thank you, Elliot. Yeah. Um, Fraser, my dear friend. Hmm. Now I'm kind of blinded by your stagnus. It's really, <laughs> it's, it's really causing me to be stagnant. Am I right? Oh, God. So anyway. Very punny. Um, whew. I'm trying to think of something Scottish, but I think I'm just forcing that. So if I had to think... Fraser, what comes to mind? Fraser, oh, I can't think of the help of a stag. Um, I haven't I know. That's the problem. Yeah, you had. The, I was gonna say like, oh, some sort of bird, but that, I think that's because I like birds now. Um, I'm, I'm gonna say lynx. I'm just gonna say lynx. Don't know why, just lynx. Oh, that's quite interesting. That's but also cool. stag. I'll take that. Also just yeah. I think everyone that. kind of wants a cool one. We want bears and wolves and predator animals. We want to look like we're tough. But sometimes <laughs> it's good to be honest. And I'm say, happy to yep. be a hedgehog. Yeah, I'm and right I'm happy that. to be a robin or an owl. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for you, Elliot, I'd have to say either an orangutan or an elephant. <gasps> an orangutan or elephant. That's perfect. Well, I did a meditation once, right? This was, this was years ago. Um, and the meditation was to like, I get, it was kind of like what we were talking about where you kind of try and get like your spirit guide um so i was doing it by myself and at the end of the meditation the animal that was looking back to me in my mind was an orangutan um which is so bizarre because i i've never i don't think about orangutans or anything like that but i just remember um it being quite vivid in my mind that's what i saw that again this was many years ago and I kind of thought, okay, like, let's do some research on, on, on that on that animal. And, I, and there's something about it that's quite, it's strong, uh, playful, uh, and has a great personality. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And has quite, has quite a lot of humanity to it. Uh, 
for me that works for you, but also also the elephant as well because again, wise beyond your years, but also full of mischief. And uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to upset you, shall we say? <laughs> Elliot the elephant. Nice. I really like that, and they have quite a grand presence. Like they're not easily missed. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like, <laughs> but yeah, they're the perfect kind of um, mixture of playful and. And did you know? Apparently, elephants have been known to do moon worship, which moon I find worship. really interesting. They have been monitored. I can't remember for the life of me where, uh, but yes, they have been. Um, They've been studied, and apparently elephants have been known in certain parts of the world to observe moon worship and the, and to honour the phases of the moon during its various cycles. Um, and they will sort of take ritual baths and bathe each other, and they will also bow and sort of pray, uh, sort of bow their heads uh, and kneel, if you like, to to the moon at certain stages, which I find int- very interesting. Wise, <laughs> <laughs> they become spiritual. I know. And can I just uh, tag on the end of what we what we were saying? You know, we're still trying to figure out together this idea of where the Philgia kind of stems from. Um, there's another theory, apparently, that uh, the fate uh, Erd gives every human being the Philgia at birth. So she sort of is responsible for assigning them, which is quite interesting. So maybe that is more of a tangible spin on the on the Norn relation as opposed to it be, being a Norn. Mm. It's assigned by Anon, which I think is really awesome. And that makes perfect sense to me as someone who sort of venerates the Norns. So, yeah. Um, I was... Oh, you go first, Fraser. No, 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 please, please go ahead, Elliot. Go ahead. So, it's good that you actually... Even though I don't want to direct the conversation completely into the Norns and lose the Philgill afterlife thing that we need to get to. Um, It's funny how you mentioned how Uther is said to go to every newborn child and perhaps give them the field gear, because I've heard plenty of times that your personal norm, because that is also a thing, apparently, well, loosely, it's not really um, solid, the evidence behind that, but let's just continue. So your personal norm, or the norms, as in the main three, are said to go to a child and assign their fate. So in other words, what do they decide your fate's going to be? So field gear, I don't see why it's impossible. Mm, Very interesting. So how does the whole group Philgia come into play then? I, I'm finding that difficult to understand. Um, yeah, I can, I can see why. I'm slightly hard. Uh, I'm slightly finding it hard. Um, well, the Philgia can sometimes be interpreted not just as a guardian spirit, but as a spirit of yourself that can help you deliver your prayers to the gods. Um, and in astral projection, projection, even though I have never done it before and I hardly know anything about it, um, I have heard rumours that you could potentially astral project as your filgia, the animal or lady or man, depending on what you get. Um, and I guess that could also be applied to the tribe or like group filgia. Maybe not astral projection, at least I don't think so. Perhaps like a communal prayer, prayer thing or like a simply like a very lesser God. Well, it's a spirit. So of course it's not a God, but like a lesser God that you can uh, pray to and sacrifice to, to perhaps, um, suit your needs in your times of life and strife uh, but also mainly to help connect you with the actual even higher supernatural beings the gods or perhaps the elves jen what are your thoughts on group philgia then 
Um, okay, so I have two kind of ideas. So the first one is that obviously Philgia, there's an idea that it might be linked to lineage and ancestry. And I think in terms of talking about like the olden olden times, um, you know, I'm talking like 600 BC or whenever, um, you know, obviously if we're going back that far, you are going to have thousands, as we said last time, of, of ancestors that are connected to you and potentially your filgear. So there could be a group filgear in that sense. Maybe you share the same filgear with certain members of your family. Um, so maybe it could be looked at from that direction. Or another spin on it could be if we're looking at the idea of fate, you know, I believe that people come into your life for a reason and the ones that are meant to be there stay. So like with me and my, my pagan pals, for example, they have been with me through some of the worst and best times, but some of the hardest times of my life. And they've seen me through and I believe they were put there for a reason. So for that reason, because they were meant to be in my life, potentially we share uh, a certain fill gear. Maybe my fill gear with them, you know, because obviously last time we were all birds. Maybe that kind of bird energy is connected with them. And then maybe I have a different fill gear for like different areas of my life or for me as an individual, for example. Or do you know I what I mean? To so... you. I need to interrupt you. Yeah. I know, I know what your fill gear is oh. for me. It's, uh, it's an orca, like a killer whale. <gasps> I love that. Oh, my gosh. They're an orca. <laughs> killer whale. It just, it just, it just, no, it just came into my head. I'll, I'll tell you why. It's like I was thinking um, as you were kind of talking there, the bird thing makes sense because... I mean, obviously, I don't know you super well, Jen, right? We've had a few conversations, and then that's great. But from the conversations that I've picked up, you, you seem like someone who has uh, the spirit of a wanderer, um, yes. someone who, urges, who really wants to see, go out and go on an adventure. Um, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> so, so, so for me, it's like a, a, a bird is a great one because that, 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 that makes so much sense. But then you obviously have that connection to the sea as well. Um, I with- love that. With everything that you you've done regarding um, you know work, working on yachts and things like that, um, and you've talked about that many times about about the ocean and stuff. So I, I was like, what what animal? Um, and, and this is an animal, by the way, for me that actually I I'm very very intimidated by uh, orcas <laughs> because they are so intelligent uh, oh. and they are such powerful um, creatures as well. So what, when you think about when you when you think about it like that, it, it kind of makes sense to me. Um, this idea of a of a wandering um, call to adventure, um, the sea incorporated into that, and also, you know, the intelligence and, you know, emotional intelligence is there. So, yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. It just kind of me like a lightning bolt. I there. am absolutely <laughs> blown away, and I, I'm not going to say I feel emotional because <laughs> I don't want to sound like a complete snowflake, but I actually feel quite moved by that because that just completely clicks. Like, everything you've said it summarizes it in a really lovely way. And I never would have even connected those points with an orca had you, you have not just kind of like, you know, broken it down, but yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I feel such a massive kind of connection to that. So that is really interesting. I thought, I thought you were going to say something funny, like a bat. Cause I'm, 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 I like spooky things and, <laughs> and I stay up late every night. Like, um, and I yeah, have something, terrible, terrible something videos. gothy. I was yeah, thinking something, something gothy, and I was like, no, no, I need to think of something else. Um, <laughs> no, I, I really, really appreciate that. I think that is, that's really um, quite poignant. So thank you, Fraser. I oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Yeah. What you said there on, you know, we're talking about group filigree, right? So yeah. what makes sense in my head, and, and this conversation is completely fresh for me, because as I say, I was just mildly aware of the word, and that had something to do with, like, 
a spirit or soul. That's all I knew. That was it. So mm-hmm. with this fresh information in mind, it kind of makes me think that group failure makes sense for me as like a family thing. So although Ooh. it can be other things as well, but when I think of like a family guardian spirit, immediately that just makes sense. I don't know if I've been programmed maybe by seeing things in television programs or or fiction books and stuff, and it's like a family guardian spirit. But it, to me, that 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 does make sense because obviously, um, most families, but not all. I mean, they have strong connections. Whether that strong connection is from love or uh, hate, yeah, <laughs> they have this strong um, connection. So that that's certainly possible. But how does this all play, guys? How does this all play into the afterlife? Ah, uh, now we're going to move on to this now, aren't we? <laughs> Elliot, um, take the stage. <laughs> well, it's, well, first thing, good, good thing that you mentioned the family theme, because I think I was eventually going to mention how there's also a family idea of a figure, but we're going to move on past that, because I know we're going to stay too long. So afterlife, lovely little place, or afterlives, multiple lovely little places, perhaps. So where does the figure come into this? Hmm. Well, I can't say for certain, because I said near the beginning of this episode that essentially this thing is believed to accompany you in the afterlife. It's like a little a spirit a spirit pet, you know, and you can live out, well, not necessarily the rest of your days because you've already had all your days, but live out a good portion of your afterlife in whatever afterlife you go to. And that can consist of many places. And would any of you like to list off what you know as the afterlife? What is this like a pop quiz? <laughs> yes and no. It's a what mixed I will bag. say, what I will say though, and it made me giggle, and this is that like you know playful, immature side of me coming out. But when you said you know it's like a little sort of pet, I, I just immediately thought of the word spiritual tamagotchi. Tamagotchi. <laughs> 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 That's how I'm going to remember it now. So thanks, Elliot. But yeah, sorry. Nice. Spiritual tamagotchi. <laughs> yes. Um, well. Um, okay, so we do have a good idea of afterlives within, not necessarily Norse, but most of us are Norse pagans, let's just say Norse, um, but in Germanic mythology as a whole. So we have the basic, basic bread and butter, and that is hell, spelt with one L. Sometimes said to be Helheim or Helheimar. Apparently it's not ever been called Helheim or Helheimar, it was just hell. Uh, because it was named after the goddess who rules the underworld herself, hell. Um, but it's a very nice place, apparently. Not perfect, because essentially it's commonly believed that this place mimics many, many things about our planet or our realm Midgard in terms of how it looks and how it's roughly structured. Um, and it's not always dark and dingy. Of course, there are areas within hell that are dark and dingy, and I think the most infamous place of the dark and dingy part is the Hall of Serpents, Nostrond and Nithogr, the great serpent that chews the souls that have been a little bit too sinful, to say it lightly. I know if you use that sort of religious language, people who are perhaps brosa true, perhaps, don't really like you because they just label you Christian. But at the same time, what else can you describe it? So when it comes to the Voluspor, since that's the place where you actually find uh, the set rules, so to speak, of what will get you thrown into Nostrond and Fentanithogr. Um, it is oath-breaking, murdering, and seduction of others' lovers, or often simplified as adultery. So three basic things, three being a holy number, how lovely. Um, doesn't mean that you can do everything that's not those and get away with it. 
of course, because humans in the living world will probably give you consequences. And I'm pretty sure the gods will raise an eyebrow at you. Um, but yeah, those are the three general ideas. And the serpent hall, if you sadly get sent to it, is essentially a hall where serpents inlay throughout the entire ceiling and the walls and they spew and spit toxic venom upon your damned body. Uh, but let's be optimistic. You have not caused any of those to simple hell. Hell is a lovely place, you see. Like I mentioned, lovely little place that mimics Mythgather. Um, and if I also need to remember that in the tale of Baldur's Draumr, um, Orthan, when he's talking to what is assumed to be Angorbotha, the mother of the three monstrous children, as they are often described, um, the lady mentions how there is gold all over the floor and the benches are laid with straw in anticipation for Boulder's arrival. And there's also a beer cauldron going with a uh, shield being like the little roof that keeps the steam in. I think anyway, that's how I like to imagine it. Um, and so it shows that it's not really a bad place at all. And I think that's something that we all need to learn, especially anyone who's an atheist listening to this, who's not ever going to believe in it, but just wants to learn what we think, you know, just thought I'd get it out there. Anyone else want to say anything? Uh, in terms of summer, summing up the, the different uh, ideas of the afterlife, I think you've pretty much covered most of it. Um, but one thing that I do want to sort of add my, my own little spin on, I, I don't know about you guys, but I have uh, quite a quite a fair belief in the idea of reincarnation. Um, and I do believe that it's mentioned a couple of times throughout the Poetic Edda. Um, I don't know if like maybe Elliot might be able to hit on this and I have no Indeed. idea if you guys share my <laughs> my potential so, belief system. But yeah, I'm going to try and blaze through this without stumbling whatsoever. So reincarnation. Yes, it exists within our religion. Anything that's not Abrahamic practically exists in that religion. Uh, reincarn 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 reincarnation can be a various few things. So the, there's a common idea which consists with another part of your soul. That's not the filgia um, called the hummingya. And that is a part of your soul, an organ, if you will, that mm, kind of mess around with luck because luck is essentially an energy that can be increased or decreased depending on what you do or what happens to you and so on. And that can actually be passed on and therefore technically reincarnate a piece of you into your descendants. And it seems that the most likely way to do this is to name your, the, your son or daughter or your descendants after one of your luck will be transferred into them so that's a form of reincarnation but in a tale of Olaf Olaf something oh wait no Olaf um Gertafuska Starmer oh I can't remember the surname but there was this one guy who was a Norwegian fellow he was a man named Olaf he was a great guy he was a heathen and he eventually died as we all shall and eventually it is commonly believed that he um rose back from I can't even talk because my mind is just flowing with information so <laughs> he got reincarnated fully not partly fully into Saint Olaf who I think was an actual Christian king of Norway and it is said that yes. Orson in his blue cloak uh, met this man and said to him you're the reincarnation of Olaf and he was like wait what um, so it is a possibility and also an actual fact within the faith that reincarnation of both the Hamingya variety and complete variety do exist. Just thought I'd say that. Yeah, well, see, for me, right, I'm coming from before this faith, I'm coming from the concept of when you die, you return to nothing and there's just nothing, right? So I'm coming from that kind of, I don't want to use the word negative, but 
doesn't really fill you with hope necessarily. Um, kind of concept of death. Whereas now, I, I, you know, I, I do believe in hell. I do believe in you know Valhall and and these places, and and I do believe in and who's probably going to go there and who's going to go where. But I'm certainly it's, it's an idea because death is is like the ultimate mystery. It's like the final frontier. It is something that we can't talk about with absolute certainty because we've never been there and back again. Or if we have, we certainly don't remember it. So I'm certainly mm. open to the idea of uh, of things like reincarnation. Uh, just at the moment where I'm at, I'm leaning towards when I die, you know, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to see hopefully my ancestors there and, and my people who follow that religion there, I would, I would hope. But mm. at the same time, I'm always open to having my mind changed on certain things uh, and, and incorporating uh, new ideas. But, 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 but if you think about the Hovamal, you know, cattle die, kinsmen die, and all that which does not die. It's like if you live a great life, uh, you, you live it to the best you can despite all, all the shit, all the chaos that you have to wade through. Uh, if you can live a good life in despite of it all and inspire those around you, then you've lived a life worth remembering and you will live on and mm. the stories that people tell of you. I mean, for example, I'm, I'm reading this book on Anglo-Saxons and I've just finished a chapter on King Alfred. Um, we're still talking about this guy. Uh, and this is like 1,200, 1,300 years ago or something. Mm. Um, and we're still talking about him. And there's, there's thousands of other people like that. You don't have to be a king. That was just the first example that came into my head. But And you, and you don't need to be, you don't even, and by this, you don't need to become a celebrity on, on a global scale either. To, to, to have that you, you can it can be someone in your family still talks about you or oh, my my mm. great great grandfather elliot for example <laughs> did this with his life and did that and he was a blacksmith and he did this and he traveled here or or my great 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 grandmother jen you know she she was um born in the uk and she she went traveling and she lives in canada and she went in all these bench you know what i mean um yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. like it's like in spite of it all living a life worth remembering um and you can live on through that an essence of you lives on through that you are immortalized within your own saga um mm. yeah just a thought that i had there i oh sorry elliot no you better go because if i go i'm going to try and put <laughs> lots of information yeah no just a quick thought um so i have another theory again throwing more ingredients into the pot here that um you know the idea of what says reincarnation necessarily has to happen after death you know i believe that you become many different versions of yourself throughout life so i am not the same person i was four years ago and i'm probably not going to be the same person in four years time than than i am now um because you sort of up level and you physically shed like cells like your cells regenerate and apparently every single cell in your body regenerates every what seven or ten years or something i don't know um you know so there's this idea that i have that you kind of you you regenerated or reincarnated as different versions of yourself throughout the whole your whole life and you know this this sort of ties in with you know quote unquote normal paganism like you know stereotypical paganism the idea of the maiden the mother and the crone like uh, the triple goddess so you've got the the maiden the lady who sort of is quite young and optimistic and sort of ex excited for life um 
then you've got the mother stage who sort of you know she learns a bit more and she becomes this nurturing homemaker and then you end the life cycle in the the crone phase uh, and you know obviously this is usually like oh the, the old crone or the hag and uh, in paganism it actually seems quite an endearing honorable thing because it's the final stage in life in which you have never been as wise as you currently are and that idea in itself is a form of reincarnation because they're often presented as three entirely different entities even though they're supposed to be the same same thing um so i really like the idea of reincarnation in that sense but obviously i I am aware that we're supposed to be talking more about the uh the afterlife sense but um you know i think you can sort of you can sort of see that in in a way like you can say goodbye to a person that you once were and sort of put that to bed and 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 sort of move on to the next chapter if you like and um and i i just find that really quite interesting so yeah yeah 100 percent. that that is i i I see the i see the path there definitely so i let you jump in great okay because i'm gonna steal this and i'm not gonna let you have a go so um Uh, so yes, but I was going to say to you, Fraser. Even though I don't want to sound bossy, but who's to say that when you die, you automatically reincarnate? What happens if you simply go to hell, and when there's a set population or after a set time, whether you want it or not, you get reincarnated? So it's like a little waiting time. They'll just throw it out there. <laughs> so I'd like to move on because I'm not sure how long we've got, and I just want to get this across because I'm desperate to say this. Um, so I have this idea about well not really this idea about Valhalla or Valhalla but I've been hearing this um this thing pop up where people say um is it possible that people who die of sickness or basically a very awful disease which most most cases is cancer or perhaps suicide because they had struggles with their mental health uh do they get to go to Valhalla now I just want to say to me no I understand it is very heartless to say this but First things first, this is Valhalla, not hell. Hell is the general dead. Valhalla is the honoured dead, hence the Einhara. And what they're doing is killing each other day in, day out, drinking, eating, killing each other day in, day out, over and over and over again until the final day when all the creation will be destroyed and renewed. So I'm not sure if that's something you really want to happen to one of your ancestors or friends. Just thought I'd throw it out there. I know I said that in a very cold-hearted way, but I need to get the message out. No, I I agree with you there, Elliot, sorry, because I did actually mention that point in my last episode. And I did say, you know, oh, could could this be a thing? If you've got cancer, you're fighting a battle. But it's, you know, I actually do agree with you completely that, um, you know, my mind has slightly changed somewhat in in terms of like, you know, it is for actual, actual battle warrior type people and yeah you you wouldn't want to you know if if it was the case that you got into Valhalla from fighting a battle such as cancer you wouldn't want to keep fighting that same battle every single day it Mm. just wouldn't you know what I mean yeah I completely agree with you um I also think I also think we don't live in uh, a thousand year old warrior culture anymore you know we're living in a very different world now um where you know we're not going to be invaded by hordes of raiders every other week um and you know there's there's a there's law in the land we have science we have technology we have relative peace uh we just don't have that same mentality so we don't grow up healing hearing tales of 
heroes and great warriors going to Valhalla and that is the greatest honor you could bring to yourself and your family to you know die a hero's death and stuff that that that's that is something that we don't live with in our culture so it is quite it'd be quite strange for me to even know somebody who <laughs> would be going to Valhalla I mean they'd have, I mean I suppose can I, can I throw in the question so if there was somebody who was a soldier who fought in the army and, and went to war in a foreign country, could they potentially yeah. be? Yeah. I was just yeah. about to, I was just about to say. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. So, no, not at all. Not at all. Like you, you, you've hit the nail on the head because I, I was going to say, um, I don't have really um, any close friends who are active military members. But I mean, if you are a great warrior uh, in the military, for example, or some kind of branch of uh, service where you're required to do. Uh, warrior type things um, for example you could be um, you could even be like armed police or something along those lines or mm. or that um, yeah then then yeah absolutely you have to say so. going to, yeah. going to Val- Valhalla because the stuff you're doing is exactly the same as they were doing uh, thousands of years ago it's just you're using different technology to do it but the physical exertion the bravery the skill with uh, weaponry is all there and it displays all the traits now it just depends whether you actually want to go or not, because I think Othan does like a Glock. Anyway. <laughs> oh, can, so I gonna... ask, can I just ask you both, because I need a little bit of a, a grey area filling in here. So in terms of Valhalla, in, in order to gain entry, am I under the correct belief that you have to be holding an axe specifically or a weapon? No. So No? Okay. I just had to ask because I wasn't sure. Well, so, yeah. okay. That's kind Perhaps. of a myth that I thought was real, but as far as I'm aware, after doing some research, it's, it's not true. Right. No. Okay. Makes sense. I think I think it's because it's kind of like a sign of respect or like a a more pop culture idea that oh, if you're not holding a weapon, then when you do go to Valhalla, how can they tell that you're a warrior, not just somebody who turned up weaponless? You know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going yeah. to move on swiftly. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how much time we got and I want to get everything out. So Grimness Mall. Um, I got a few stanzas I would like to read, or in little bits, of course. And these are relating to afterlives. I can't say that these are afterlives, but these are ideas since we have multiple afterlives in general. So let's see. Stanza four. I see a holy land which lies near those of the gods and the elves. In that place, Thruthheimar, Thor will live till Ragnarok. So we got a place for Thor. Thruthheimar, and that is essentially just one of his two abodes. Now, it is said in Harbathsjolf, which is where Thor argues with Greybeard, aka Othin, on a fjord, or he's on land and his dad is on the fjord, that he takes servants while Othin takes um, warriors. So perhaps Thruthheim, or his other hall, which I'll get to in time, is the place where slaves or servants go. Um, next one, stanza five. Ullr has built good halls for himself in Idalir. So Ullr has a place called Idalir, and Idalir translates to roughly like yew wood, as in a wood of yew trees. And that makes sense because he's a god of archery. Yew is a very brilliant um, wood for bows. Uh, next thing, uh, the god Freyr in the lands of Alfheim. I think we all know that. Possibly a good afterlife because he is actually associated with the barrow dead, so dead who are buried in barrows. And those who are buried in barrows are likely, not entirely, because I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's a 100% guarantee, but it's very likely they ascend to elfhood, which is a demigod-like status. It is said in the sources to some extent as well. Um, next thing we have, uh, let's see, stanza six. I know a third place where happy gods live beneath a silver roof 
Silver roof, remember that. It's called Valeskjelf, the place Uthan made himself in the old days. So Uthan made this hall for himself, and I think Valeskjelf translates to slain lords because I'm, I'm well I don't really know I'm just kind of assuming because it has Val as in Val Hall and Val Hall translates to Hall of the Slain or Slain Hall so it must be um, Slain Lord place and that is assumed if you are going off linguistics and etymology to be a place where perhaps lords go maybe it's interchangeable with Val Hall we don't know or I don't know a fourth hall is Sokvebek which the cool waves crash upon so it's by the sea there, Othan and Saga, who I theorise to be Frigg, drink happily every day from golden horns, or cups, it should say. Yeah, so that could potentially be an afterlife. Uh, a fifth land, and this one I actually really want people to remember, right? A fifth land is Gladheimar, where bright, wide Valhalla stands. So even though Valhalla is under Othan's jurisdiction, it's within the land of Gladheimar, Okay. I uh, just thought I'd get that out there. Of course, Gladheimar is within Asgard, of course. All these places are. Just thought I'd mention. Um, and then we got Valhalla itself, which we all know, quite obviously. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, so there's... Ah, yes. Thiazi, or Skathi, I should say. Skathi owns a hall called Thrimheimar, and that's because her father once owned it, even though his name is Thiazi. Um just that's also a potential afterlife uh i i'm sorry if i keep repeating the same stuff but i'm kind of trying to get through all of them so we have enough time to talk about this afterwards now my I, i'm tempted to say favorite god my my most admired god boulder he built himself a hall called breitablik that's a place where i know you'll find little grief and that's probably where he and his wife nana live possibly a good afterlife potentially we don't know heimdatler or heindel inhabits an eighth hall, Himmenbjorg, which means heaven mountain, I believe, or holy mountain, possibly a good afterlife. And it says that he drinks happily of good mead. Freya, now this one, everyone kind of remembers. She owns the ninth land of Folkvanger, where the hall Sesrumnir is, and she receives half the battle dead. Now, it doesn't say whether they actually fight day in, day out, like the Valhall kind of dead, but there's a possibility that is because she is associated with war to some degree, though saying that all the gods and goddesses can be a war or war goddess. Um, so who knows? Do you know what that means? Uh, Folkvanger. Do we have a translation for that? I believe it means holy meadow. Ah, very nice. Which I think is also a very Indo-European thing because I think Greek mythology, they have a, a quote unquote good afterlife where it's basically just a lovely meadow area. So, um, yeah. Stanza 15, and this one I don't think is really an afterlife. I think this is more just a divine uh, judge place because it says, A tenth hall is Glitnir with gold walls and a silver roof. The god named Forseti, which is, by the way, son of Baldur and Nanna, is there on most days and he settles disputes. He's an interesting god that not many remember. Now we have a very interesting god, which I think many people remember his place, and that is Njorthur, and he built himself a hall named Noatun. Uh, it's a very high timbered hall, as it's said in the Grimness Mall. Then we have Vithar. Now, it doesn't say that he has a hall, but it says that he uh, trains in overgrown uh, wide land high grass weeds. So in other words, he's basically just out in the outback, so to speak, just riding a horse, shooting a bow and having fun, assumingly. Mm -hmm. And this one isn't a place, but I thought I'd bring this up. So in Valhall, or Valhalla, there is the great cook Andhrimnir, who, uh, 
who cooks the boar every day, every time the Einhira need to eat, called Seihrimnir. The cook of the cauldron, I mean, sorry, they cook in the cauldron, sorry. Uh, the cauldron is called Eldhrimnir. Eldhrimnir. Uh, there is no better meat, uh, by the way. So, do, 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 Ah, there we go. Thor. So, Thor's second hall is Bilskinir. Has 640 rooms. If all are counted, I am certain that all the roofed houses, Thor's is the largest. So, just thought I'd bring that out. Thor has the massive hall, is the biggest of them all. Not even Valhall can compare. Um, do, do, do. And I think that might be all of it. Yes. Oh, Elliot, can I ask you about Ran and her... Ran and oh, yes. How could I forget? Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Again, just an ocean uh, fan over here. So for those who may not know or do know, but don't really know that well, there are two gods who are Jotnar and they're a married couple. One is called Egir and one is called Ron. And they had nine daughters who are the personification of the waves of the sea. Now, it is said that when anyone who's out at sea drowns it is a very very likely chance that ron with her net will grab you so to speak and drag you down to the bottom of the ocean and you will probably go there as an afterlife now it doesn't seem to be like a hellish abode as in hell as in double l of course hellish abode it seems to be a place where you can go where you can drink mead and there's lots of riches because the ocean is seen as a very wealthy place and agir is quite rich of course uh, we all know that Njorthur is the most affluent of the gods, and he has a very nice seaside harbour place, which is actually what Norton translates to, harbour. Um, but yes, Egir and Ron, they have one. Um, although it's kind of a mixed thing, because they are both Jotnar, who are not one with the Asir or the Vanir, but they are friendly with them. And at the same time, they also potentially cause the downfall of ships and men and women to die at sea. So it's kind of like a Mm, okay, at least I'm getting this cool little afterlife that's hopefully not going to treat me bad, but you did just kind of drown me. Um, <laughs> yeah, just thought I'd bring a little bit of humour. I'm trying to yeah. think of any others. I can't think of any so others. So can I just ask really quickly, because again, aware of the time, what do you reckon the difference, because you, you, you mentioned uh, Newarth's Hall, what do you reckon his, diff- you know, his, his afterlife realm is uh, um, in comparison with Bran and Aegir? Well, it is said that Aegir and Ron's Hall is at the bottom of the ocean. Now, whether this is supposed to be taken literally or more symbolically, I don't care, and I'm not going to answer, so people can have their choice. Um, but I would say Njorthur, since his translates to harbour, roughly, is a harbour. It's not in the sea, kind of, but it's by the sea. Um, of course, many people seem to think that Njorthur is not a sea god, he is a coastal god, which is not wrong i would agree with that too but i think um Njorthur is a sea god it's just perhaps there is a limit where you're thinking okay you're in the deep atlantic now mm. you're not really going to be in safe territory even if you do pray with Njorthur, you better pray for Aegir and Rans. <laughs> okay um, that's interesting yeah where would you guys yeah. like to go if you had the pick oh <laughs> damn I, I can answer. I know kind of straight away whilst Elliot kind of bowls it over. Um, so obviously being quite akin to the ocean, I like the idea of more so Njorth's Hall because me and him are kind of, you know, we, we've got a little connection. Um, don't really like the thought of being dragged to the bottom of the ocean for the rest of eternity. Um, 
uh, although I could chill with the orcas, I guess, so that might be quite nice. But uh, yeah, North is my is my guy, so I wouldn't mind going there. But I would also, at the same time, like the idea of going to Helheim because I imagine that is also where most of my family and friends will end up. So yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. for me, if it's not Hell, um, then it's probably going to be either um, is it with Thruthheimer, Thruthheimer uh, for Thor. Uh, uh, yes, or or of course Alfheim because I think I think Alfheim would be a particularly beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Um, but e- either one of those, I'd be very very blessed if, if uh, as a mortal I was allowed to go there. Um, but yeah, what about yourself, Elliot? If it wasn't hell, because I kind of like the idea of hell because it's just like the basic thing. Basic is sometimes good, but if I had to choose, um, it would have to be either Neothers Hall or abode, Norton, or it would have to be my good old chum Boulder, Breitablik, <laughs> if, it is, if it is an afterlife and it's not just his happy abode, because it seems that it seems to be quite joyful all the time, or most of the time, so I don't want to, you know, encroach and cause some sorrow. I just had a thought, though. Hang on a second. So, Boulder has his own kind of dwelling in the afterlife, but didn't he end up going to Helheim when he was killed by yes. the mistletoe? That is very interesting. I just thought, I'm like, hang on a second. What's that all about? Because surely Boulder can't be in two places at once. I don't know. That's quite interesting. Hmm. It, well, I guess it just means that all the gods are subject to hell, as hell is said to rule over all the realms. Yeah. Doesn't he walk out of hell, though? Yes. Uh, when oh, he Ragnarok doesn't go back. Okay. When Ragnarok yeah. is done, um, he and his brother Hordr, who struck him down, but was killed by his other half-brother, Vali, as well as Vithar, because Vali and Vitar will survive, as well as Njothar and Hunir, and as well as Suna's daughter, the new son, who doesn't get a name, will be the gods and goddess who survive and live in the new world. Amazing. Oh. Okay, so, that answers that question. <laughs> just to kind of sum, sum up the end, though, as, we, as we're kind of reaching the end um, of our time, uh, are you guys up for doing this kind of uh, group meditation to try and get in touch with maybe our Filgia? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we should we should do that at Yule, um, at the gathering when we all meet. And yeah. then we should maybe have another chat about it because I think by then we'll have learnt more uh, yeah. about the topic and we and we might have some interesting things to report back on. So you are you game for that? A hundred percent. I think I mentioned it to you a couple of days ago that I was gonna kind of base it around and with Cara's permission, obviously, her uh, the experience that she kindly bestowed upon us, and then I will kind of give it a bit of a Norse twist. And then I've I've also asked if you yourself, Fraser, would kindly um, narrate the pre-recording. So because I'd like it to be pre-recorded so that we can all join in together. I don't want to have to like read off of a script and and I'm perfectly awake and everyone else is in this like altered state. So yeah, that mm. would be that would be really cool. Yeah, that is. Sounds I'm very cool. honoured. Very honoured that you've asked me to do that. I'm really excited to to um you know get the script together record it and then it's great as well because as it's recorded it means i get to take part in it <laughs> yes exactly Fantastic. yeah that's the idea 100 percent. hopefully it all goes well 
Oh, it will. What could go wrong with the three of us, hey? What could go wrong? Oh, speaking of which, if by if earlier on uh, you guys heard a weird sizzling sound, one of my candles got a bit too big for its boots and I had to extinguish it. So sorry if I, that was very I sizzling sound. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But yeah, talking of what could possibly go wrong with the three of us, uh, yeah. I can't possibly imagine. Yeah, what the hell? Exactly, exactly. Could have been in could have been in hell before the time's out, hundred yeah. percent. And Listen, can I, guys, can, oh sorry, can I, I ask don't... really quickly? Have we got mm-hmm. super quick time? I I also re- read about a, a Viking ship that was found half buried in and out of the soil. Obviously, it wasn't found like that; it was buried completely. But the different sediments of sort of rock and and soil were completely different ages from like the top half to the bottom half, suggesting it was at the time poking out of the ground. And obviously, somebody of great notoriety was buried with the ship sort of half in and half out, going down to Helheim. And I'm, I don't know about you guys, but if I could be buried or have a send off some kind of way, it would either be a funeral pyre being set alight on a burning ship uh, in the middle of a fjord, or it would be that, because that sounds so symbolic and awesome. But I just thought I'd throw that out there. This is a great way to end it. We've got three minutes, right? So, Elliot, tell me how you want to go in that respect, what, what Jennifer said. Um, well, since grave goods are a thing, and it is believed that if you die and have grave goods, you can actually take them to the afterlife, especially hell. Um, I'm probably not going to do that because, well, I, I think I actually want to go for a pyre kind of idea. Because even though I might change my mind in future, I'm still kind of admiring my Lord Boulder over here. And even though he kind of died tragically without any intention to, I wouldn't mind not having a boat one. I would actually wouldn't mind having like a wooden one. Or just one that's on the ground, further away from, far away from anyone who might get burnt. And they can, even though it is quite uh, horrific, I guess, when you think about it, see me burn away. Yeah, man. Cool. That's pretty awesome. Pretty I think... rock and roll. Yeah, yes. exactly. Pretty metal, brother. Pretty metal. Hell <laughs> olden, brother. Um... Anyway, we need to wrap this up. My, my one would be probably, I, I, I want to be just, I'm going to be, be honest, probably just cremated, but. I did see these things before and I, I can't remember exactly what they were. It's not something I think of a lot, but it was like the person was like planted with a tree or something. Wow. So I can't remember exactly how this happened, right? Just something popped into my head. So it's like almost like over time, this tree grows and like they're like part of that tree. Yes, your body decomposes inside this sort of uh, biodegradable sack and you become part of what fertilizes the tree to grow. I thought that was pretty sweet. It's not something yeah. I've thought of too often, but it's just something a bit different. I was like, oh, cool. But most likely, yeah. a, 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 mm. a pyre would be epic. Not sure if it's legal, but sounds amazing. No. Yeah. Okay, guys, thank you so much for uh, chatting to me today about Pilgia and the afterlife. I uh, really appreciate your time. I can't wait to get you back on and we could discuss some more crazy things in the world <laughs> of Norse paganism. Perhaps thank you so stuff. much, Fraser. I appreciate your time, and for everybody listening, thank you also. And Elliot, it's been a ple- pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you too. Goodbye, fellow audience, and remember, my field gear is apparently an owl, Robin. Dab. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my friends. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.